Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I talked to Ritzy from The Joy Formidable and it's delightful. I'm, I'm aware, yes, I'm aware that I say a lot of these talks are going to be delightful, but they really are. It's I'm recording this intro literally just as I've, I've just sort of hung up the Zoom call with Ritzy, and it was wonderful. She was, yeah, absolutely delightful, as you're about to find out. Um, before we get on with that chat, a few thank yous. Thank you to 76 for producing. Thank you to Scroobius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Thank you to you lot as we're eking out of, of lockdown. Um, I look forward to hopefully being back face-to-face with some more people and, and doing interviews that way. But just a, a massive thanks for your support throughout all of this time where I've been recording over Zoom. Um, and, yeah, and thanks to 76 because sometimes Wi-Fi drops out, sometimes these things get glitchy, and he's been consistently ensuring that the podcasts that you listen to uh, you know, are as, as close to what you'd expect uh, from a, a pre-lockdown uh, podcast. So, yeah, so thanks to him. And, and just thanks to you for, can, you know, just constantly, you know, being so lovely and supportive and saying nice things on the socials and sharing it. And, yeah, it's just been, yeah, a lovely a lovely uh, thing to, to see this, this podcast reach so many nice people. Okay, right. Um, if you'd like to uh, support the podcast in any other way, then you can do that on Patreon uh, for 79p a month. And that's Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash off the beat and track. And over there, um, I put up video episodes, um, put up radio shows, put up front episodes out over there. I think there's a, probably about 200 shows you can get stuck into over there that um, haven't been, um, hadn't had a lot of general release uh like this one uh so yeah so go and explore the patreon go and explore everything you need to know about this website is it your one-stop shop which is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com should we get on with it okay let's do that then please enjoy off the beat and track podcast with the wonderful ritzy of the joy formidable Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off the Beat and Track podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. 
The cacao bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's Off The Beat and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we're recording. Ritzy, hello. Hi. How you doing? How you doing? Oh, I'm well, thank you. Doing good. Good, good, good. Where are you? Um, I'm in southern Utah um, today. I've been here for, well, I bought a house here about eight years ago. Um, and I used it as a it's been used as a studio in the past and it's been used as a place to kind of you know um, in between tours go and do some writing it's it's in a really beautiful part of the world you know so I'm very lucky nice place to come and this meeting is being recorded I've ended up being here um, I was only meant to be here for a couple of months just after we'd started demoing the new album but um, it's turned into about 18 <laughs> turned into about uh, 18 months now I can't you know we've been here a really long time so because of obviously all the travel restrictions and things like that and making choices about coming back to Wales so um, well, let's, yeah. let's touch on that quickly and before we get on to your song choices looking back over the last it's been 15 16 months in the UK mm-hmm. I imagine it's not been too different where you are um, how have you found it um, both personally and creatively um I think at the very beginning obviously like a lot of people it felt kind of quite you know like it felt like the bottom was falling out of things in a way because obviously all our dates got cancelled um all the the I you know all the ideas that we had about how we were going to make this new record and that we were going to be in us in the same room with Matt and you know have that kind of connection that we love to have musically so definitely a little bit of trepidation at the beginning and I think it fired on like a sense of like well we need to adapt now like we've just got to go for it you know these dates aren't happening the way we were going to record the record isn't happening so what can we actually control you know because you can't always control the external anyway you know Mm -hmm. and it's turned into a really positive time to be honest I think on a personal level it's the most time I've ever had to kind of sit with myself and I you know I've been talking about this a lot because I love touring and I love all the um variety and the energy that it throws into the creative process but I feel like I've let a lot of my um you know, I haven't really had a lot of time to really sit with myself and think about where I'm at in my life at at certain stages. And you cover up a lot of stuff instead of like really tackling them head on. So you think you're in the moment, you know, which tour obviously throws up a lot of those feelings of like, you know, I'm right here, I'm very alive and I'm energized. But you can't truly be in the moment if there's a lot of stuff under the surface that's kind of holding you back from really properly enjoying it. 
you know um I've just I feel like a weight has lifted through the writing of this record and where I've really had to um you know address some stuff and it's an album about that kind of growth and that transformation where you bring your power back to you um so yeah it started off a bit shaky you know but it's actually turned into something um really positive for 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 us as a as a band i think and in terms of the creativity that it's created it's been really interesting i've, I've, I've probably recorded maybe 200 of these um during lockdown and every single musician has kind of echoed that mm-hmm. that statement of like at first it was negative and then it was nice to kind of not be touring and have that moment and then something you said there that like you know you wanted to be in the studio and feel that connection and that original energy I really like the idea that the situation that thrust us into meant that you kind of had to be you had to get a bit punk and a bit DIY and go right well look what tools have we got here to make a record like what have we got let's see what we can do with that and I think some really really exciting stuff's going to come from that yeah, I, I I agree. I think sometimes, like you said, when you're pushed a little bit to the edge, you know, because when you, you, if the touring has been the thing that's been supporting your, your business side of things, and then mm. that all goes away, then you are pushed a little bit to like, you know, you're having those conversations of like, all right, well, what the fuck are we going to do now? Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. um, and I think sometimes when you're pushed a little bit to your limit, then I think there's, like you said, there's, there's, different directions that you can go with those. I think we just, like I said, it put a bit of a fire under our asses and we were just kind of like, right, well, let's use what we have and yeah. how to take, take, you know, make the most of this time. And that's not to undermine anybody. Cause I, you know, I've been really frightened for my mum. My mum's got COPD and she's in Wales and, you know, there's been a, you know, really uh, wanting to look after and make sure that she's isolating and make, making sure that she's all right. And there's obviously been some horrible stories of people losing you know, people and people's health and and all that sort of stuff. So I don't want to undermine all that because compared to, you know, that compared to what's the positive that's come out of it, it's a little bit hard to kind of uh, reflect on at the moment. But um, yeah, like, like you said, I think um, you've got to, got to just work with what you've got sometimes haven't you absolutely absolutely well let's talk records and for track one i'm going to ask you please to tell me the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro now i've seen that you've sent over a couple for for some and so that's all right don't don't stress you can have some honorable (laughs) mentions all right but i do want the definitive one you can you can get get a few off your chest but i do want you to pick one I kind of, you know, with things like this, I kind of don't like to overthink it too much. It's like, Mm -hmm. you know, um, it's like what what hits you as um, intuitively something that's really resonated with you. So the first thing I thought about was James Brown, because like, you know, like just such a. I don't know, just the intros to so many of his songs just have that. I think I like really confident intros. I think that's what I I learned from this question, that that kind of just full-on confidence and swagger, you know. Um, So, you know, you can't really beat with with his intro to the boss, you know, in terms of just the actual counting, you know, it's not a regular (laughs) one-two. It's a one-two get down. And then what follows it musically, just how... fucking tight and how good all those all those instruments are together and you kind of really feel him as a 
as a band leader, just kind of keeping everything in check. He's just one of those rare talents, I suppose, that could do he was, everything. He was famously quite ferocious, wasn't he, apparently? Yeah. Like, I think people would get fined if they'd like drop beats and things like that. I, I think, think he was so. quite a taskmaster. Yeah, and, you know, it's always – sometimes you hear stories about people in the personal side of, of things and how that's been quite negative – I, you know, and I don't know a lot about the James Brown backstory and what, you know, I know little, little bits and you never know unless you've fucking been there anyway. But um, I do, I, there is something about that, um, that strength in music, you know, really feeling yeah. like somebody has followed their own path and, and, and created exactly what they wanted to, to make at every step and has been bold you know, I, I do like that. Oh, he done that. Definitely, you're right. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> totally. You know. And then the other one I was farting around with, wasn't it? It was Elvis Costello and Lipstick Vogue, which has just got, like, the nicest com- combination of um, drums and bass ever, you know, yes. tractions coming together, so... I don't know, but we'll stick with we'll stick with James Brown if you... You're going for James Brown? Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah. Well, in regards to intros, obviously we're going to talk about the new record um, a little bit later. Um, but if we look at when your band first formed and the way that people listen to music then, mm-hmm. it's probably quite different to how lots of people listen to music now. Mm-hmm. And with that in mind and considering the way that I watch my children's thumbs on their screens, they, they move very, very quickly yeah. and their attention spans seem to be getting smaller. Mm-hmm. And I like the fact that you just alluded to the fact that you like a confident intro. The fact that it appears that commercial pop music, the songs are getting shorter, it's like straight in with a chorus, and it's yeah. like it, it feels that like people are, are playing ball with the way that people are, are, are ingesting their music now. So, with that in mind, I want to know when Joy Formidable make a new record, are they ever a consider? Is that ever a consideration? Mm-hmm. Um. No, I guess um, to us it's, you know, I mean, when we released our first record, I think what the intro was probably like two minutes and the whole song was eight, you know, and that was the first song on the first record. I'm sure like we were on a fucking major label back then, so they were probably like, you know, (laughs) crying, (laughs) you know. Um, I mean, they never questioned it because I think they kind of knew that, you know, we had them. towards it you know the the integrity of the music is the most important thing do you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. sometimes I'm like oh whatever use whatever fucking photo you want or you know of that or whatever but when it comes to album you know what's going on your album and the track listing Mm. and that I think that should really be be between you know the members of the band or the or the writers even so um no it doesn't come into it for, for us at all um I think uh, we've always just liked being very honest to what we feel like the song or the yeah. the vibe at the time has been, you know, like Hitch is, I listen back to Hitch now, which was our third record, and I find parts of it, like it's a bit of a hard listen, you know, I kind of feel like the three of us are back in the, you know, in our, um, in the house that it was my childhood house that we ended up recording. We recorded very live, you know, we just kind of like pressed record and let everything, uh, you know, all mistakes and all kind yeah. of end up getting uh, chronicle, but sometimes looking back, listen back to that, I'm like, oh, come on, fellas, get to the point, like you know. But it was a moment in time, you know, and um, 
and and that's just probably me being major critical because I think that album does breathe from a performance side of you know uh, yeah. performance place as well so so no fuck it I mean you can't again it's a, a difficult one with that because you're going to end up with a lot of just homogenous shite aren't you you know like Absolutely. oh it's already bad enough it's like the last couple of songs um prior to this record you know we were on earth uh, you know, you go to radio in America and I, I understand the whole, the premise of the radio edit has been going for years, hasn't it? Like, oh, we've got to trim and all that. And even that is sometimes a bit of a tough thing to swallow. But, you know, on the last record, they were saying things like fucking turn the distortions down on your guitars, you know? No way. Seriously, man. Like, And that's like, fuck off. So, you know, we sent new copies with the, the, the guitars turned up and nobody yeah. noticed. So <laughs> it's like, wow. you know, that's a line, isn't it? That's when you start getting into like, um, there's a trend that's controlling the artistry, whereas it's normally been the artist who's the one who's in power, isn't it? We're mm. meant to be the ones who are like, you know, soundtracking uh, um, where we're at in history and socially and, you know, leading the way out of, you know, it shouldn't be happening from a kind of a very safe you know, nobody rock the boat. Let's all package it up like this so the fucking computers can make music. <laughs> Let's make it fit to the algorithm. Totally. It's like, fuck totally. off. <laughs> I, find it, I find it really, really strange. Like, I, I, I really do. And it was nice when you were saying about, you know, putting the track list in together. Uh, you said, that, you know, that's really a really important thing to do as a band. And the fact, you know, I've spoke to artists on this, this podcast that are kind of aware and seem to be, quite happy with the fact that oh well you know they're not gonna necessarily listen to the album they're gonna cherry pick tracks from itunes and i find that fucking terrifying mm. that that an artist wouldn't want their record i don't i hope i'm not just coming across like you know granddad stew here and how it was in my day but for me i do think a record should be a piece of art a body of work and should be that track should be put together as that artist wanted them tracks to be heard. Do you know what I'm saying? Oh, I absolutely do. It's the same with the fucking movie, isn't it? You know, if you're like, if you're like a really thoughtful, um, you know, movie maker and you, you're telling this whole story, you don't want somebody to just watch the fucking trailer, do you? Do you know what I mean? Mm. You just spend like all this time creating, weaving this storyline and these characters and all the work that goes behind it. Do you mm. know what I mean? It's like, um, it doesn't take two seconds to make an, an album. Do you know what I mean? Maybe, maybe it's a quicker process if you, you know, if you have a formula or something that you can yeah. just, like fucking do. But in terms of actually the craft of actually learning to play an instrument to begin with and be able to to perform that and bring all the instrumentation together, it doesn't take two minutes. So we shouldn't be treating it like it's just, yeah. you know. I was, I was, rant- this is so off, just kind of a bit of a digression, but I was ranting. I was, sometimes I go for a run in the gym and um, they were playing HG, this fucking program called HGTV. It's like a all property renovation bullshit, aspirational shit on American television. And they were melting people's vinyl records, you know, like melting them and so that they could make something with them. And they were laughing at it, you know, like, oh, wow, this is cheap to melt. These records only cost a couple of dollars. <laughs> so angry I was like going <laughs> fuck off that took me 12 months of my life to make that <laughs> you know so um yeah it's interesting isn't it that whole culture of like that you know this seemingly doesn't doesn't really you know this seems very quick and easy to make and produce yeah it doesn't have that the value that it deserves to have yeah 
100%. Okay, I'm going to take you back to track two. The first song that you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Oh, man. Um, well, I was thinking about this, about my, you know, first heartbreak that you have. So I think I was in high school and me, me scumhead boyfriend ran off with some chick from another school. <laughs> I used to, I lived uh, up in the countryside in, uh, um, in North Wales. So I used to, when I was in high school, by the time I had a little, I'd saved up enough money to buy myself a little Ford Fiesta. And I remember I had a soundtrack at the time that was just all about, you know, it was like when your heart's first been broken, I had a lot of The Cure and The Smiths on it. And it had a, a track by, um, well, the Walker Brothers didn't write it, did they? I think it was it was Tom Rush that wrote No Regrets, but I was listening to the version that um, the Walker Brothers had recorded. You know, mm. it's a real... You know, it's kind of a really emotional kind of like, you know, I don't want you anymore. <laughs> God, that's heavy music for a teenager's breakup. Oh, I need some Walker Brothers. This 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 will work. God. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that and the Smiths just on repeat. You know. That first, <laughs> the first love, right? That first heartbreak, man. It's a hard on. Oh, it really is. I can vividly remember driving home from Romford in Essex after getting me heartbroken for the first time and and Heroes by Bowie come on on me cassette player in my car, in me, me shitty Ford Escort. Oh, I was bawling my eyes out driving down these country lanes. Yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Well, totally. That's like the same shared experience for exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> you bastard. So... I'm going to ask because normally it, this this kind of pops up this question um, because a lot of people choose the Smiths and yeah. I'm a, a ridiculously huge Smiths fan mm-hmm. uh, and I was, you know, like so many of us, an angst-ridden teen and Morrissey said all the right things at all the right time. What what do you make of, like, what's happened to... Someone broke Morrissey. It, like... A little bit of me's died inside. Like, I just no. think, oh, what? Is, I mean, don't worry, Johnny Marr's still cool as fuck. Yeah, he's lovely. Like, like... Yeah, he's great. <laughs> Definitely, that's all I hang on to now as well. I just think it's all we've got. Johnny's still doing it. It's all right. <laughs> I can still listen to it. You know, it's the same for me as well. Like, um, you know, sometimes when you get asked to choose tracks and things like that, the Smiths were a huge part um, for me growing up. So I don't like to censor that now. Do you know what I mean? Like, because yeah. they were, I mean, you can't really, it's like what we were saying before about being able to, can you extract the kind of the, who the person is to the music? If the, if the music is really um, amazing and impactive and emotive and, uh, you know, tells a story that you believe in can you separate that out from the person who's made it and where they're at now in a you know in mm. a different chapter of their their life so i i still talk about my love for those smiths yeah. chords and those yeah. songs but um you know it feels like just a new level of like controversy doesn't it in a way like i actually have quite a few links to his management and stuff like that and it it feels like it's, you know, like how he's always kind of enjoyed that controversial element anyway. He's always liked kind of... 100%. Um, which can be used for good or it can kind of be quite empty, can't it? You know, like it can just be yeah. saying a load of shit just so that somebody writes about you 
Um, I I I would have liked. I think the the only thing that fell short for me was uh, embracing it all with a bit more love, where he could actually like. I, I think that's the thing. I always associated the Smiths with the kind of like some sort of more loving kind of uh, embracing difference, and you know, and misfits and all that. You know, yeah. but, um, all that side of things. So yeah, it, that's the saddest thing of you know because. I don't know. I don't really know what even Morrissey believes deep, deep down either. Yeah. That's the sense I get. Yeah. I guess that's one of the things that has always been something that's drawn people to him and that because nobody knows him. Nobody knows yeah. anything about him. And that in this day and age is very rare that, you know, everybody's life's all over the internet and you know, people still don't really know a lot about him. And I think that's quite interesting, but I just wish some of the stuff that he does say now, like just, doesn't come out the way that it's been coming out because it's a little bit, little bit disappointing. Listen up. I've only got another new sponsor, Egg Fried. It's this super cool clothing label. And if you're into sort of skating and street art and gigging and, and kind of like really cool art and throwing a little bit of Asian culture and, and the designer's kind of weird sense of humour in the mix, then you're pretty much there with the wonderful world that is eggfried.com. Now, they do these amazing punchy kind of graphic tees, hoodies and sweatshirts, beautiful art prints, as well as this, they have a denim range, all handmade in-house, all support in the slow fashion movement. Not only that, they've given you a discount code, 10% off when you head over to eggfried.com. Just use the code EGGSALAD, E-W-G-S-A-L-A-D, save 10%. Go and get lost in the world of egg fried. Also, they've got a new kids range, and it's called Small Fried, and it's super cool, super cute. Um, and again, it's all over there in this wonderful world. Go and get involved at eggfried.com. Okay, well, we, we, we're talking formative years, um, and so I'm going to say for track three, um, Ritzy, will you please tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school, please? I've got photographic evidence of this one because I remember – going on school trips and, I, and there's like pictures of me when I was a kid and I had always had these big, you know, I was always sat by myself, even though I'd, uh, you know, I, I'd had friends, <laughs> you know, but I used to really enjoy when we went driving anywhere or went on a school, you know, outing or whatever. There's loads of pictures of me and I've always got my headphones on. I don't know, I had a little Sony thing or something. And um, every time I look at those pictures, I just, I, I have a feeling that I was just playing the cure on a loop, <laughs> you know, <laughs> And I think, even though it's not one of my favourite songs now, um, you know, I think I think there's other songs that are a bit more sophisticated and and better. But I, I think back then I was always listening to Friday. I'm in love by The Cure, just because yeah. I like the the vibe of it and the tempo, and I like the video with the you know when you were little. I like the video with the flying pig. <laughs> you know? yeah. Wow, there's <laughs> like a freedom and a yeah and a and a feel good factor to it that was really yeah. infectious to me when I was a, was a kid. So it's a perfect pop record, isn't it? It is. It's, yeah. it's just pure pop and it's, it's, it's brilliant. And, you know, I, as you say, there's, I think there's definitely some, some other cure records out there that are maybe a little more weighty that are just a little bit more, you can get lost in, but yeah, I think, it's a couple a of snake one. bites at your local indie disco. That one right. delivers Friday. I'm in love, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. Um, so have The Cure been quite an important band for you? Yeah, and, you know, when they asked us to play, um, well, he's reached out a couple of times, you know, like, um, 
I, I, I feel like I take things in my, you know, um, I'm dreadful with faces, first of all. I think I've got that that thing where you can't actually recognise people's faces sometimes. Um, so I never get very starstruck, or, you know what I mean? Because I can never remember anybody. <laughs> I walk around, yeah. you can be in a festival or something, I never know who anybody is, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm just... So, you know, my bandmates take the piss out of me all the time. They're like, that's Kylie Minogue that you were just talking to. I'm like, no. <laughs> I'm just like, no idea. It's all right. Oh, amazing. <laughs> you know, so I've definitely got a bit of that going through um, just in general. And um, I don't know, I like the measure, the measure of who people are to you in that moment is probably more important than being like, you know, overtaken by the uh, musical legacy. But um, I think that's the only one where I've gone, fuck, you know, like he's just emailed me. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> it's like, that. what'd you write back? <laughs> God, that's a moment, isn't it? Totally. I don't know what to write back. To say thank you, you know? Um but he's been really lovely, you know. He's uh, invited us to. He was uh, curating Meltdown Festival, and he invited mm. us to play that. And then we did uh, the Glasgow Summer Sessions that um, he was curating as well. And then we did Pasadena with him, <clears throat> which was one of our last um, festivals um, in 2019. So, um, yeah, that's been. It's kind of been a bit bewildering that to me. I mean, lovely, yeah. Um, but um, yeah, really strange. I mean, they're still. Not that, not that it has to get worse as you get older, but I mean, they are really good live, you know. Like, I've not seen saw, them before, but fucking hell, man, they are on it, you know. I've seen them a lot. I see them. I see them on the Wish tour when Friday I'm in Love come out. Yeah. That was the that was the first time I see them. Uh, but I saw them probably maybe three years ago uh, at Hyde Park, and they done like a kind of best of. Mm-hmm. Oh fucking hell! It was like. So many incredible records. On one minute, you're just literally crying on your mate's shoulder at pictures of you, or oh god, uh, I don't know, love song. And then you know, the next minute, it's just like just like heaven, and you're just like, oh, you can just write beautiful. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. 
Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Pop songs as well. It's like, oh, they were absolutely incredible that day. And uh, yeah, what a band. Anyway, I want to talk about school. How did you find school? Um. Well, I think I, I enjoyed it. I went to a bilingual school in North Wales, so it was um, all the lessons were in Welsh. So I was doing things, and Welsh was my second language. So my mum and dad, are, mm-hmm. my dad's from Rill, and my mum's from Manchester, but they weren't. My dad didn't speak Welsh, so found that quite interesting because you were kind of learning this, sec, you know, what was already a second language, and then you were doing subjects like French, but you were doing it in the medium through Welsh. So you were doing learning wow, French. Yeah in welsh so like he's like a double head fuck you know wow yeah um but it had a lovely um had a lovely vibe to the school lovely morality running through it It wasn't much bullying and that you i feel like you were allowed to develop into the individual that you wanted to be and you know um there was a politeness and you know, morality, like I said, that that ran th- ran through it all. It wasn't a religious school, just kind of quite a sweet, small school in this mould in North Wales. So I had a I had a happy time. You know, it was like um, just kind of got into. I wouldn't say like I got into subjects that I like there, like English. Went on to do you know um, English in in uni and stuff, um, and got to dabble in music, but um, it wasn't. I think a lot of my musical side was happening at home. It wasn't necessarily, you know, at school. With that in mind, um, what kind of records were you being exposed to at home? What was on the stereo? Oh, well, me, I was very lucky. My mum and dad were massive record collectors. So we had this, they bought this old, like, Calvinistic, it's a Calvinistic manse that's in the middle of nowhere in North Wales. And they bought it um, when they first got married and they'd been kind of like doing it up. You know, it was it was one of those houses when you're growing up that's constantly being done up. But you know that it's never going to get done up. It's just yeah. it's what it is. Um, but it was we had no neighbours. So um, and they had this big record collection. So like I think I think when I was growing up, they had about 2000 vinyl and they had it alphabet. You know, it was all in alphabetical order because they're kind of nerdy. So. I never really bought, you know, I didn't have to, I didn't really have the motivation to go out and buy a lot of my own record. Yeah. Um, Cause there was anything there, you know, you'd say to dad, you know, I'd say to me, mum and dad, Oh, you got anything by Van Morrison, you know, and it just, they pull the, the entire back catalog out, you know, and wow. it, just like a lot of music being played and I'm glad, and we didn't have neighbors. So yeah. even though I was an only child, I feel like, um, the house was never, it was always such a loud house because it was just music yeah. blaring all the time, <laughs> you know. 
Oh, how so, cool is that? Yeah, That's great. It was, it was. It was lovely. I say sometimes that I could have easily been quite put off by music because I think sometimes when your parents are really passionate about something, it does sometimes make you go, well, actually, I'm going to mm. go and do sport or something. Do you know what I mean? Like, this, <laughs> I'm going to rebel and, and become a gymnast. But um, no, it was a lot of music in our in our house and was, you know, very lucky to have a pick of, and they had good taste, you know. Yeah. For the most Wow. You said uh, earlier that um, your school was 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 you know it sounded like it's a pretty kind place to be and 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 they said you know you could be who you wanted to be and and did you know what you wanted to be at school did you know what you wanted to do when you, you know, grow up I wanted to be I I thought I wanted to do something with animals to be honest because I was I idolized. Um, David Attenborough when I was a kid and I was just like wow he gets to travel I always I always liked the idea of traveling I had a lot of travel books and adventure books when I was a kid and um, the thought that you could go and travel and and study animals at the same time I was like wow that's the ideal but then um, I failed me microscope class in biology so uh, (laughs) I thought don't think David Attenborough would fail that <laughs> maybe maybe I need to go and do something else. Which in hindsight, it was only like one. You know, that's the thing when you're a kid. Sometimes, isn't it? Your perception of things. You know, it was only one tiny thing in the grant. You know, you you yeah. can tell yourself, "Oh, I'm no good at biology now. I'm no good at math." You know, and mm. sometimes it takes you being a little bit older to actually yeah. have the maturity to go, "Oh, that's just a blip." You know, of course you can get better at, at that. But I ended up doing English and stuff like that instead. So. Was you a confident young person? Um, I think I think my parents were very good at, uh, at like they weren't pushy parents at all. They were they were very very like had very kind of hippie ideals of just like go and be the person you want to be, be kind and compassionate, and go out there with goodwill and whatever you want to do, we'll support yeah. you. So and I think um, that is the the root of it, isn't it? I I I never felt like there was a limit to what you could go and do, you know, but I don't think it was that it wasn't my parents saying like, go out and be this and be that. Yeah. It was just this very a strong foundation of like, anything's possible. You go out. The most important thing is be happy, but you know, there's yeah. a lot to explore out there and you know, you can go and do it. That's wonderful. Yeah. Absolutely. And the, the confidence aside, you've chosen to get involved in one of the most brutal and cutthroat industries in the world (laughs) um and and the confidence i mean we'll get back onto confidence with with performing uh, a little later but i want to ask you about drive and would you say that you're you're a driven person i am when it's something that um really excites me or i'm really passionate about um i uh you know, I think it's important to, well, <laughs> my bandmate was here, he'd be going, of course, you're like a fucking scrappy doo. <laughs> just, I can hear his voice. Um, yeah, I'm when I'm passionate about something, I'm not very good at, at taking no for an answer, you know, like if, yeah. if, if I'm really... Uh, if something's really important to me, then I don't let it go very much. I, I think I'm quite resourceful, you know, like I think there's been plenty of times when I'm, um, you know, like whack-a-mole or something. I feel like sometimes yeah. this industry has come along, like we got 
sued a few years ago, you know, and it felt like it was a big, like we got a big mallet to the head. (laughs) Fuck off. And um, I feel like it could have been quite easy at that point to say, ah, you know what, this is too stressful. Like go and do something else, you know, for a bit. But it was like, I don't know. I think we're pretty good at, I think all of us are pretty tenacious as individuals. Like when we really believe in something and the fact that we've worked so hard as the three of us, together creatively you know um working hard that's a a difficult thing to say because it doesn't feel like work sometimes but we've created something together over a lot of years that's very meaningful for us so I don't uh, you know moments like that when you feel like you know some big nasty rotten (laughs) corporate thing wants to take you down (laughs) there's definitely something there's a I think I've got a very strong sense of justice sometimes that makes me really like dig in you know where I'm like nah Right. Fight this one. <laughs> Absolutely. Track four. Richie, I'm going to ask you to tell me the first song you remember buying from a record shop, please. Um, well, like I mentioned, I didn't have to buy a lot of vinyl records. Mm. I was very lucky in that sense. But my dad, especially, used to like go into record fairs. So there was a big one in Manchester. Um, I don't know if it still happens. It was... At the Royal Exchange, I think they used to have a big record fair there, um, and I'd been, I'd saved up a bit, and I thought, oh, I'll go and see if there's anything outside of me dad's taste that I would like. And I actually found a copy of uh, the Drill EP by Radiohead, which was obviously like the first thing that they mm. they released. And um, I think it was probably overpriced even back then, you know. Um, but um, yeah, I thought I'd treat myself. So that's the first thing that I bought for myself. The, the joke with it was, is that a few years later, I felt like it had got kind of absorbed into me from my dad's record collection and I still haven't been able to find it. <laughs> so, like, and this happened quite quickly after buying it. Within about 18 yeah. months of buying it, it disappeared into, you know, into the 2000s. You're like, where's the return on the investment? It's fucking, I'm not going to find it for about, and I still haven't found it. And that's, you know, many years on. So, um, yeah. Bet that's worth a few quid. I wonder what it is worth now. I think I paid at the time. I don't even remember what year it was. It must have been in the end of the 90s somewhere. 92, I think that come out. Yeah. I think it would have been maybe more like 96, 97 when I found it. And I think I paid like 40 quid for it or something like that. Like, uh, it wow. felt like a lot at the time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it'd be interesting to see. I don't, it's certain records are obviously kind of good investment. My dad's constantly, you know, we, every so often, because I don't want him to downsize his record collection, but <clears throat> occasionally we say things like, you know, you've got all this digitally now as well. Maybe you could, you know, you're talking about moving. And uh, he, he's just like, no, it's all worth thousands. <laughs> so Absolutely, like, totally agree. Yeah, <laughs> I'm like, I don't think it's worth. I don't think that one record is worth thousands. But <laughs> oh, the, 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 but, yeah. the ongoing argument in my house is like, if, if we're out and about and we go somewhere new and there's like a little sort of secondhand record store, it's like. I can't walk past it. You, you can't, can you? You've just oh, got to no. go in and and have a look and a smell. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and then my, my, my wife will always kind of go like, haven't you got enough? <laughs> and you just think, that's not a thing. You can't say, have I got enough records? That's no, that, that's not an argument. So, uh, yeah. But in, on that, um, I mean... Sounds like you've got the coolest parents ever, by the way, taking you to record fairs when you were young. It's wonderful. Um, <laughs> but growing up, mm-hmm. you know, in them later years and then 
being in bands and then going to you know all possible places around the world um with time to kill when you get there how important have record shops been for you throughout your life yeah very like I love I mean it's the one thing if you have spare time in a city like you're describing you know which is rare sometimes you know it's you really notice when you do actually get time in to to feel like you get to absorb a a new place you know a lot of the time it's just like wow I've seen another venue do you know what I mean so it's really special when you actually get a couple of days somewhere or you get in somewhere early and you can go and explore but um yeah, for, for for a lot of the time that we were touring, um, Ridgen and I didn't actually have a place to live because we'd we made the first record in London um, and we shared a place together there. And then once, I guess once the touring really kicked off, we kind of like, um, you know, moved out of there. And then we kind of lived just in suitcases, you know, um, for about maybe about five years, which is fine. Like, I'm definitely not moaning about it. It was, you know, yeah. it was a wonderful time. But um I didn't have a record player then, you know. I had a, I had one of those awful little portable things that you can, you know, that you, you can plug in places, but the sound quality is shocking, and it yeah. depending on the type of vinyl you buy, it jumps and stuff like that. But I've, I was still buying <laughs> vinyl records. So when we got, um, God, we we went through our Los Angeles. We have a storage unit, and got fucking storage units all over the place, you know. Like we're constantly going where where is everything. So um, when we went to LA and we were opening up some of our own suitcases, there was vinyl that we'd bought years ago, you know, not even opened because we didn't have anything to play it on. So, oh, that's better yeah, than finding a fiver down the back of the sofa, that is. Oh. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it was amazing. So, um, yeah, always bought, like you said, even when it practically isn't, practically hasn't always been the best thing. It just, yeah. it just look. I mean... When it's done properly from a musical point of view, from a mastering and mixing point of view, it sounds fantastic. And if you have the right system and just from a very, I mean, I don't need to ex- to describe it, but just from a very tangible like artwork, here it all is. It feels like, you know, it's real somehow, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. And you really get to appreciate album artwork on vinyl as well. Yeah, totally. Let's move forward. Track five, the song that soundtrack your years clubbing, please. <laughs> well, I used to go, uh, used to have a fake ID and go to this place in. So North Wales wasn't exactly club central. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like there wasn't a, <laughs> you normally had to like, once you know, go out and go to Manchester or Liverpool, really. Um, but there was this one place uh, that um, was called the Buckley Tivoli that I think we just hit it. Even though we were a bit young, we kind of hit it at a perfect time because the I think the guy who owned it he was had a lot of really good um, connections in music. He'd, I think he'd been a manager or something, and um, he just got all these all these bands that would normally skip North Wales, you know, and they'd like mm. us to go and play in the major cities. He just used to get them all through, and they would play the Buckley Tivoli on a Wednesday night. That was the like the big party, which you know. North Wales is so rural, just even having, I think it was just amazing that we even had that sort of musical focus at that time growing up. Who did you see then? Oh, loads of people. Um, Oasis, Super Furry Animals, uh, Eels, uh, Catatonia. It was like loads of Britpop stuff when Shed 7 and um, some American bands that were coming through. There's a great artist called Nut. 
she was oh she was great she was fantastic right i've been looking for her stuff online or what she ended up doing oh, but God. Yeah. i've got loads yeah. of literally that room behind me i've got a lot of seven inch singles from that yeah Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Yeah, um, she came and played. We just, there was just a lot of good stuff that, um, that came through, you know, um, came through the Buckley Tivoli, but they had a club night afterwards. So they had the band play, which is a band now, you realise is like the worst gig in the world, which is disco, <laughs> disco loadout, you know. Like, you find out that your, your fucking agent has booked you somewhere with a disco loadout, that's when you go, what? You know, because you normally got to be carrying all your amps and stuff. Oh, all so these good. people, fuck off, out my way. <laughs> you know, this waste fucking two hundred pounds. <laughs> oh, amazing! So, um, yeah, so they used to have a club night, and there was a lot of really good um, alternative dance stuff. And I love the Prodigy. You know, like I've been messing about with a solo record at the moment, and every so often I keep I keep doing some stuff that sounds like singer-songwriter, like it's quite acoustic and lush and melodic. And then I go and I do something and it sounds like Nine Inch Nails meets The Prodigy. And I'm kind of like, how do these, how does this solo record, like, <laughs> which which one do I want to do, you know? Um, so I think they were just so uh, exciting and dangerous, oh. you know? So I chose um, No Good by The Prodigy because, like, as soon as that, you know, that riff builds up, as soon as that came oh, on, you, so you know. Good. Yeah. So good. They're from where I'm from. They're, they're our hometown heroes. They're, oh, uh, are they? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Fiercely oh. proud of The Prodigy. Yeah, amazing band. <clears throat> Just before we move on, I want to ask you about a Welsh band because when um, I, I asked um, Super Furries about this and they wasn't too sure um, – but there was a, a, a Welsh band around 95, maybe about 97, 98, that my band played with a couple of times. And they were pretty much the reason why I decided to stop being in bands because they were so fucking amazing live. Right. Um, and we played with them, uh, is it, I'm going to try and pronounce this right, Club I Back? Yep. 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 And they were called Terrace. Oh, God, yeah. I remember Terrace. Like, the yeah. front man was the most exciting thing I'd ever seen. Yeah. And they got, a, I think they got an enemy cover and a lot of hype and then it just went. I just don't know what happened. What happened with them? Because, oh, I'm trying to remember what track I had of theirs. Or I had, I had Cannibal some Kids, Picture Show. Yeah, that's it. I'm trying to, yeah. I can kind of see their artwork. I remember it. Yeah. yeah, Terrace, fucking hell. I wonder, where they were, I wonder where they were from in Wales. I, I think like... they were from Cardiff. They were managed by right. the guy from 60 Foot Dolls. Oh, okay. Right. So like another Welsh band, because they had a bit of a, he had a bit of a lilt, like I was obsessed with Costello, Elvis Costello, when I was growing up. And uh, then this band came out of Wales. They were called Ether. Do you remember them? Yeah. Yeah, and he had a very a very similar delivery to Costello when he sang, you know, and some of the changes mm. had a little bit of a Costello esque. So I remember really liking them. They were meant to play the Tiv actually, and they cancelled. 
And there was this band, I won't name them because I know some some of them, but every time a band cancelled in the TV, this other band would come and play, like a local band would come and play. And the minute you, you'd get there and they wouldn't announce that the other band had cancelled and then the minute they'd walk on stage, you'd be like, oh, fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, that poor band. They must I literally just see an army of people like, fucking hell. <laughs> every time we used to laugh about it, as soon as they walked on, you were like, oh. I want a refund. <laughs> I've seen these. <laughs> oh, well. Okay, right. Well, it's weirdly um, apt that we've just been talking um, about the bands that we've been talking about and home because for track six, I'm going to ask you to tell me a favourite artist from your home county, please. Oh, well, um, I've chosen uh, the Super Furry Animals because they're, they're not quite from where I'm from. I'm from Flintshire and I think they're a couple of counties over. But yeah. um, we'll we'll let it's it fun. go. It's fine, isn't it? They, they had a Did you think it said country? Because all the other people that have been on this podcast have always thought it said country, so Maybe. don't worry. County, I guess the, well, the Alarma, even the Alarma from Denbyshire. So, mm. and that's still one county over Flintshire. I guess it would have been like um, Johnny from Coldplay is from there, but I don't really know. Right. <laughs> I don't. I don't think I would have chosen Coldplay. No. <laughs> Not being rude or anything, but <laughs> any opportunity to talk about super furries, he's welcome on this podcast. Totally, they just had a huge uh, influence growing up, you know, because uh, they used to do a lot of like local shows. So they played the Tiv, and then they put on a they put on a really good show in. Um, in Bangor, they played the um, fucking hell. What was it? Was it a, a golf course or it was? It was basically they put a big pop up marquee in Bangor, which you know, even though it's a university town, it, it doesn't always get a lot of live music in those neck of the woods. So, yeah, just, you know, I had a lot of experience of seeing them live, and they're obviously extremely exciting live, um, as well as having the songs to actually back it up recorded as well. Yeah. So. Um, and he's a really nice guy, Griff. You know, we've crossed paths quite a few times over the the years. So I thought with, um, you know, um, oh, fucking hell, what's his name? David from Dap Bluggy. He died a couple of days ago or last week. So I thought I'd choose um, a tame lad, which was actually a, um, on Mung um, Super Furry Animals covering Dap Bluggy. And obviously Dap Bluggy, you know, incredibly important 80s band as well growing up and well very influential so um yeah a tame lad by she's just a, a lovely love song in well absolutely stories, yeah absolutely well for the last track uh you get to play tastemaker and dj and turn someone onto something new um and so for that track i'm going to ask you please to tell me the song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear well, we were just deciding on um, who to go out on tour with because I think we're going to start announcing some dates soon. And there's this band out of Los Angeles that I've been listening to quite a bit um, over the last few months. They're called Cuffed Up and uh, they have a song called French Exit. So I thought it might be nice to kind of play that and uh, and know that we're you know going to go out on tour with us. Um, it's just a really great track. It's quite. It's got a little bit of that kind of... Um, spoken it's kind of quite spoken the delivery of it a bit of spoken word it has a wall of sound lovely guitars um 
you seem like really sweet people. I mean, we've been speaking a little bit. It's nice just before a tour. It's nice to kind of connect beforehand. Yeah. You know? We like to have a really good experience and be, you know, we've had bands that have taken us out and they've showed us a lot of love and, and kindness. Um, yeah. So I think it's important, you know, to to follow, you know, pass that that on. Um, so, yeah, we're looking forward to going out with them, you know, hopefully hopefully they can come to the uk at some point we haven't booked any uk dates just yet i think we've got focus wales in october but we're still trying to figure out just want to be really uh thoughtful about going out and making sure that everybody can have a really fun good experience you know don't hasn't always the thought of not interacting fully with an audience has been quite a difficult thing to accept i suppose so i suppose we're maybe waiting to see if we can actually can we do hugs? I don't know. Do you know what I mean? We're a, we're a bunch of huggers. <laughs> There's a lot of hugging goes on at Joy Formidable shows. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so. Oh, that's lovely to hear. Um, we put together a Spotify playlist to accompany the podcast with all of the songs that we've spoken about so people can go and, uh, and listen to them. Um, and obviously we'll put some Joy Formidable on there as well. Um, as we find ourselves hopefully entering into a time when we can hug again and we can go to shows uh, and we can go to clubs um, and reconnect with people. Um, With that in mind, what are you looking forward to most personally from this year and what's going to be happening professionally? Uh, Well, I'm excited about, like you said, about touring again and getting out there. We've been connecting a lot um, online with our you know with um our fans because we we set up the big thing that changed for us this year was we we'd already had a music club that we'd set up in 2019 but the way that that's grown and evolved this year has kind of taken us a bit by surprise like we've had a lot of people sign up and then we've uh, got this huge backstage area now where everything archival lives you know we've got a lot of new material on there all our online shows all that sort of stuff and I think there's been something, there's something there that I'm excited about maybe bringing in uh, into other bands' lives, maybe like a little bit of that aesthetic. Um, Because I think um, being able to keep some of your material back or your live shows and really still have, you know, those things still have value and create a community where people can come to you. I feel like... um, even though technology has, you know, we could fucking talk forever about the the pros and cons of technology on music, right? But I think one of the things, the negative side for me is sometimes it's split artists across lots of different platforms. So nobody, you know, people are getting spread all over the place and they're not necessarily knowing where to directly support an artist that they really love. Yeah. And so this music club has been a, I mean, it's it's been a real big part of getting people to come back to us and we kind of like can control the music that we're putting out, the quality of the shows that we're doing, all that sort of stuff. It's just been a, it's kind of what's kept us going this year. I won't lie. It's been a huge part of supporting um, us this year and being able to make this latest record. Um, And I'm excited about sharing that, that to other bands. I think that's what I'd like. I think we're at this point where it feels like the music industry has been a bit disrupted, hasn't it, by the shows disappearing. But how do we disrupt it a little bit more? Because it wasn't really doing, it wasn't really that easy prior to COVID for bands to be developed or sustain and have a career. 
And I like the thought of some of what we've created in having this area that a band can have that can bring, you know, their core fan base directly to them, you know. So who knows? That's that's one hope that we, maybe we can open that out to, you know, some more artists. And where can people find out about that? All on the website. Our website's just gone bonkers. It's um, www.thejoyformidable.com and, like, we've... Um, really developed that it's got loads of different little spaces you'd have to see it i can't even i can't put into words some of the stuff that we've done because matt our drummer is bonkers you know like most drummers are but he's been doing the encore for every one of these online shows that we've been doing and they're they're just very surreal very uh exciting very interesting and very creative but um i can't really describe what he's been doing without it sounding like he's lost the plot (laughs) so but it's all on the site. You'll be able to see it on the site. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, Ritzy, you've been an absolute delight to do a top countdown of tracks with. Thank you so much for your time today. Oh, it's been a pleasure. It's been lovely to meet you. Thank you very much. Thank you. There you go. See, that's why I was so happy and upbeat at the beginning doing the intro because I just finished that lovely chat. Um, how wonderful was she? Yes, exactly. Absolutely glorious. And that was a smashing chat. Um, if that's your first time listening uh, to this podcast, then go and explore the back catalogue because um, there's more of it. There's, there's probably 310 episodes. You can hear me talking to big old rock bands like the Foo Fighters and Motley Crue, and you can hear me talking to hip-hop bands such as... Are they hip-hop bands or hip-hop acts? I don't know what you call them. A Public Enemy. I'll speak to Chuck D, uh, an absolute hero of mine. Um, if you like you indie, then you can hear me talking to, as I mentioned, Super Furry Animals. Um, Ritzy also mentioned Shed 7. You can hear me talking to Rick. Uh, and, yeah, stacks and stacks of indie bands. If you like your, your actors, then you can hear me talking to Maxine Peake, Joe Hartley, Amanda Abington. Uh, there's Michael Smiley. There's stacks. And uh, and if you want to laugh and you like some comedy, then I've spoken to comedians, James Acaster, Ed Gamble. Uh, oh, there's loads. Go and have a rummage. And then you can find out about all of it at www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com. Right, I'm out of here. Thanks ever so much for listening. Um, be excellent to each other, and I'll see you next time. Much love. Bye-bye. <laughs> It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. Keep me, Stu Whipping. Eat a book.